We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Today is Saturday, December 5th, 2015, and welcome to The Truth Perspective, everyone. I'm your host, Elon Martin, and with me in the studio today is Harrison Kelly. Hi, everyone. Hey, Harrison. Good to be back. Karen Nicholson. Hi. William Barbet. Howdy, everyone. And Corey Schink. Hello. All editors of SOT.net. The theme for today's show is Syria and the battle for humanity, because that's what it's really beginning to look like. It's a flashpoint, a cauldron, uh, a witch brew of geopolitical interests that uh, go off at any time. And uh, it's a very fast developing story. Um, I think even as editors of SOT, uh, you know, there, there are so many disparate pieces that go off in so many different directions that um you know it it's hard to keep the uh the complete puzzle in mind sometimes but um but the picture is there and there are some crucial pieces and we're going to endeavor to bring them to you today um just as a kind of um, brief overview we, uh we've been discussing in the past weeks and months the fact that uh, Syria has been practically overrun with ISIS forces. Uh, Russia, in early October, decided to take the fight directly to ISIS. Uh, the U.S. has basically uh, been kind of caught up in, in uh, catching up with the new strategy of, of Russia and, uh, and has been implementing some uh, pretty covert and destructive um, ways of destabilizing Russia's efforts in Syria. Uh, you know, added to this, you have Iran and Iraq uh, backing Russia's efforts. Uh, Hezbollah as well. Um, France and Germany are kind of, sort of, uh, assisting in in their way. We're going to get into that a little bit later and what that may mean or not mean. Um, we have the U.S. Uh, kind of manufacturing its own renewed efforts in Syria as well. Um, so this, um, I felt start this week with uh, Putin's 12th uh, state, of the, uh, state of the Christian address to Russian members, parliament, and dignitaries. Um, as was noted by some commenters, it was a pretty emotional speech. Uh, given the recent loss of uh, the Russian bomber over northern Syria at the hands of uh, Turkish uh, fighter forces, uh, which we covered to some extent last week, here um, are the comments that uh, that Putin had made. He said, "We will never forget their collusion with terrorists. We have always deemed betrayal 
the worst and most shameful thing do, and that will never change. I would like them to remember this. Those in Turkey who shot our pilot in the back, those hypocrites who tried to justify their actions and cover up for terrorists. I don't even understand why they did it. Any issues they might have had, any problems, any disagreements we knew nothing about could have been settled in a very different way. Plus, we were ready to cooperate with Turkey on all the most sensitive issues it had. We were willing to go further where its allies refused to go. And then he gets really pointed here. He says, Allah only knows, I suppose, why they did it. And probably Allah has apparently decided to punish the ruling clique in Turkey by taking their sanity. Ouch. Our actions will always be guided primarily by responsibility to ourselves, to our country, to our people. We are not going to rattle a saber. But if someone thinks that while committing war crimes, killing our people, they will get away with some tomato import ban or a few restrictions in construction or other industries, they are profoundly mistaken. We'll remind them of what they did more than once. They'll regret we know what to do. Meanwhile, the Turkish people are kind, hardworking, and talented. We have many good friends there. Allow me to emphasize that they should know that we do not equate them with the authorities that are directly responsible for the deaths of our servicemen in Syria. Unwillingness to join forces against Nazism in the 20th century cost us millions of lives in the bloodiest world war in history. Today, we have come a we have come face-to-face with a destructive and barbarous ideology, and we must not allow these modern-day dark forces to attain goals. We know who are stuffing pockets in Turkey and letting terrorists prosper from the sale of oil they stole in Syria. The terrorists are using these receipts to recruit mercenaries, buy weapons, and plan inhuman terrorist attacks against Russian citizens and against people in France, Lebanon, Mali, and other states. Russia's strength lies in the redevelopment of all peoples, its diversity, the harmony of cultures, languages, and traditions, mutual respect for and dialogue between all faiths, including Christians, Muslims, Judaists, and Buddhists. We must firmly resist any manifestation of extremism and xenophobia, while defending our ethnic and religious accord, which is the historical foundation of our society and the Russian statehood. Those who have no respect for themselves cannot hope to be respected by others. That does not mean that love for our homeland must blind us in saying that we are better than all others in everything we do, but Russians must have their value, uh, he stated, which was a a reference to a quote by a Russian historian named Nikolai Aramazin. And lastly, Russia has no right to be vulnerable. We must have a strong economy, excel in technology, and advanced professional skills. We must fully use our current advantages today as we are not guaranteed we will have them tomorrow. So uh, those are pretty much the highlights of his speech. And... Um, you know, what struck me when I read it this week was how close to um, his actual intentions and actions uh, his words are. Uh, 
um, you know, this isn't uh, this is the kind of political rhetoric you expect here in the West. Everything that he says comes from um, years of toil and and up with uh, policies and work that has lifted up Russia to where it is today. Um, and the other thing, you know, just the thing that occurred to me with all this is that, uh, you know, we we had that um, that presentation by the Ministry of Defense in Russia earlier in the week that the Western media had a virtual blackout on, and um, the the thing of it is. Uh, they had photographic proof of Turkey with their rat line delivering oil out of Syria into Turkey for months, since August. So the Russians knew that Turkey was doing this. It's a big story, by the way, in, in case anybody hasn't heard. Uh, Turkey has been buying, redistributing, selling oil that's been pillaged from Syria um, from ISIS. So, well, Ilan, I just want to point something point something out that it's not just that I don't think the that the Russians have just known since August. This has been known probably since the very beginning by all parties involved. So the Russians undoubtedly knew about it, and of course the U.S. and the entire Western coalition knew about it because they're all a part of it. And. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the way I see it is that this has been known for a long time. Just like like um, all kinds of things are known behind the scenes and in secret. Like the so the Russians have been aware of these things. But if you look at the at Putin's speech at the G20, um, he kind of revealed just a tiny bit of his hand, and that's when he of course he said that they had evidence of 40 nations, individuals from 40 nations um, that were funding ISIS in one way or another, and that that included some G20 nations, and he didn't name any names at that time. And I think that if, well, I think that was an opportunity for these countries involved to kind of get their act together, and none of them would would necessarily have been named if they'd taken the right actions at that point. And so it was only after Turkey shot down the Russian jet that, what was it, one day later, two days later, that that Russia um, came out with the involvement of Turkey in there. So I just wanted to point out that little detail. Yes, uh, that's exactly right. Um, I was pointing to the fact that it was mentioned that they had this data in August just to kind of suggest that they, that they had this information for quite a while. And what you mm-hmm. say is correct, Harrison. I mean, it's it's like, you know, Russia's not out to on the world. They just want to correct the situation in Syria. And like you said, they've been giving uh, Turkey and the West every opportunity uh, to save face and to uh, cease and desist uh, with their transgressions. So uh, we talked a little bit about... um, the fact that there's been such a huge uh, blackout in the West of uh, the story. Um, you know, I had an AP this week uh, about, you know, Putin, you know, trying to exact revenge for uh, the shoot-down of the, of the Russian 
the um, the information into this light of uh, of kind of spurious allegation, and but not really examining uh, just how deep the story goes and just how much evidence there is for the fact that Turkey has been um, doubling and and making so much money off of the blood of uh, Syria. Uh, yeah, Ilan, I think that when you look at what at the West or the Western media portrays anything that's coming out of Russia these days, it's through the very distorted and unhealthy lens that we get this information. So when you hear about, you know, Russian revenge or, you know, anything that has to do with Russia, it's usually out in some sort of a you know, the, they feel obliged to talk about Soviet, the Soviet past or Russian uh, dictator and all this other sort of you know, hogwash in order to, you know, just conceal the facts that are being uh, presented as they come out. Um, you know, and just the other or just uh, the other day, I was reading through the headlines and I saw that Turkey, or Erdogan, the president of Turkey, had come out and said that he had... Uh, a definitive proof that Russia was involved in the in ISIS oil trade, and so that caught my eye, and I clicked on it. And what Erdogan had actually said was that a famous master chess player from Russia was involved in the ISIS oil trade. Now, yeah, you heard me. You heard me right. As some unknown Russian chess player was involved in and was responsible for the ISIS oil trade. So, you know, we read through the mainstream news, and they're telling you this. They're just comparing this hogwash with actual evidence presented by Russia, serious evidence of photos, videos of all of this massive oil infrastructure that has been created uh, by the help of Turkey and who who knows who else in there. And they equate that with this, this bizarre conspiracy theory from Erdogan. I mean, it's no wonder that, you know, there's... Uh, wide gulf of you know, of ignorance in the West concerning what's really going on. But that's also backed up by the U.S. State Department, um, who said, we never said oil smuggling from ISIL is not a problem. There's no Turkish government complicity in some operation by illegal oil from ISIL. We just don't believe it to be true in any way, shape, or form. The Turks were actually great partners in fighting Daesh. Uh, the Pentagon. Uh, the Turks have been great partners to us in the fight against ISIS. They are hosting our aircraft. They are conducting strikes. They are supporting moderate Syrian opposition. The Pentagon also rejects Turkey partnering with ISIS for oil. And the UK media reaction was Turkey may have replaced the U.S. as the as Russia's rhetorical enemy number one instead of focusing on actual evidence. And of course, the evidence is, has been presented over and over, and in such uh, incredible detail. And uh, and of course, none of that's making its way into uh, the media. In no, the not, not the photographs, not the satellite imagery, not the maps. You know, none, none of the verifications that all of this has been happening, as as Russia says. I think you can contact this with the opening remarks on Putin's statements to, you know, the Russian public and to the people at large, basically telling them what, you know, what we're doing, what we know is going on, and this is what you have to be prepared for. 
versus what we're in the West, which is just absolute nonsense. So people don't realize that there's this gigantic war going on and uh, that all this, uh, that it's just falling apart and that the leaders are getting desperate. And and though, you know, it's just more lies and more obfuscation just to try and hide the fact that these terrorists have been, you know, nursing a teat of NATO and Turkey for for quite some time and have grown pretty dang. Well, the U.S. can't afford to have this oil business be blown out of proportion because it sort of leads towards who's one of the main buyers of this illegal oil, which, of course, seems to be pointing to Israel, uh, buying like over 70%. So, of course, the U.S., their best buddy in the whole world, you know, they can't have uh, any of this come out and be uh, implicated towards them. Well, I'd like us to get back to um, Israel a little later on because that, that seems to uh, that seems to be bubbling up as well in in places. And um, um, but just getting back for a moment to Putin's um, State of the Nation speech, um, one of one of the things that he says here uh, is today we have again come face to face with a destructive and barbarous ideology. We must not allow the modern-day dark forces to attain their goals. Um, and nowhere here does he speak specifically of this idol or Daesh or Qaeda. Uh, so to me, it seems like he's he's taking one more step forward in in suggesting the dark forces. Uh, are emanating from the U.S., even though it doesn't you know, state so explicitly. And he worked in doing so, of course. Um, and I think that uh, incrementally, uh, you know, the next time the U.S., Turkey, or Israel does something that's, uh, that's plain stupid, we're just going to get another disclosure that is going to uh, rock uh, those people who have access to alternative information and are tuning out of the mainstream media. Yeah, see you next week. Apparently, Russia's got more that they want to review. Part two. <laughs> Do you want to say something, yeah. Harrison? They're going to have a, a second press conference this week, so it's interesting because the the day after, you know, this press conference, the day or two after we had that sh- this shooting in San Bernardino in California, and so that conveniently took a, is, is still taking up all of the news coverage in the States. And um, so oh, I just want to get back to this news coverage, because, Karen, you quoted, like, the things that the Pentagon was saying, that, uh, you know, it's just ridiculous to think that Turkey is involved in the illegal ISIS oil trade when it's pretty ridiculous to think that it's not involved in the illegal ISIS oil trade. I mean, even Joe Biden and other U.S. officials have said so over the past year. Um, And if if you just look at a map, I mean, Syria is surrounded on the north by Turkey, on the east by Iraq, south Jordan, and then Israel and Lebanon in the southwest. So what are the possible options? Okay, we've got borders Iraq. Well, ISIS is in Iraq too, and there's uh, there's oil trading going on um, between Iraq 
with ISIS in Iraq as well. So you've got Jordan, a U.S. ally, Israel, a U.S. ally, Lebanon, which is a Syria ally, which is actually fighting ISIS, and you've got Turkey. So out of the four or five you know, options there, what seems most likely? Well, Turkey. And like I said, it's been obvious. Everyone's known that the, that the oil trade has been going across the Turkish border. So just, I mean, it's just ridiculous to think that this is not going on. It would be like a massive, um, well, just look at the pictures that the Russians released of these oil trucks and the convoys going across the border. Now imagine something like that happening on the U.S.-Canadian border. Now, even if Canada was a <clears throat> was totally falling apart and there were no border controls on the Canadian side because of uh, you know some um, you know radical Islamic insurgency or militancy was has, had taken over, still imagine thousands of trucks crossing the border daily, 24 hours a day, and coming into the U.S. and then saying that the U.S. would a not have any control of, of that or not be aware of it. It's just ridiculous. It's known that these trucks are going back and forth. So the very fact that it is happening implies that the, either the Turkish government and elements of the Turkish government are involved in it, or they are aware of it and aren't doing anything about it. Either way, they're complicit, either through just inaction or through direct complicity. So um, the, the U.S. response, just like everything else, and all of their responses to anything dealing with Syria, is just completely bogus. Um, there's also two interesting stories just from the past day that, um, first of all, the U.S. sending, uh, deciding to send, the, what was it, 50 special forces to Iraq, um, and then uh, Turkey has just sent, um, about, I think, about 150 troops and like 25 tanks into Iraq, um, ostensibly to train some Kurdish fighters in that area. Now, if we look at the Russian documentation on the oil trade, they show three three main lines for how this oil gets into Turkey. One is in northern Syria, which is that that about 100 kilometer stretch of border with Turkey that ISIS controls. Um, well, actually, I think four lines. Then one kind of very northwest Syria, again with Turkey. Um, that is where the, the so-called Turkmen kind of con control the border. And then there's northeast Syria. This is under Kurdish control. And then northwest Iraq. This is also under Kurdish control. And one of the things that seems to be going on here is that there's long been a uh, Kurdish oil kind of trade. So the Kurds have this kind of semi-autonomous control over these regions, and they... Um, they get oil and they refine it and they send it to Turkey. Now, this is kind of a, a legal gray area for what's going on here, but it, what, what it looks like is happening is that this ISIS oil is getting kind of mixed in with the, with the Kurdish oil, and then it's crossing the border with all of these other um, these oil tankers. So, I mean, I guess Turkey could make the argument that it's just, you know, it's just not aware that, or just hasn't been aware that this oil, they just assumed that it was uh, um, this Kurdish oil that they've always kind of been dealing shadily uh, in the background for years. But the thing about these, um, uh, the U.S. troops and the Turkish troops, well, the Turkish troops have been sent to northwest Iraq in that exact region where there is this other, um, one of these lines, these these uh, truck convoy oil lines across the border. Today, there's news that the U.S. is kind of refurbishing an air base in northeast Syria. 
Of course, this is totally illegal. They haven't had permission. They just, I mean, they just kind of go in and say, okay, well, we're, we're building up a, an Air Force base in Syria. It's totally illegal, but um, there hasn't been a lot of news about it yet. That's just the detail. But this, this air base, again, is in the region of northeast Syria where there is this other oil uh, convoy line that goes into Turkey. So just in the past two days, Turkey and the U.S., there's, there have been reports that they are increasing their presence in these two areas, where, which are two of the four um, areas of, where, uh, of the border where this oil is crossing. So just looking at that, it looks to me to be pretty obvious that Turkey is establishing more of a military presence in Iraq, conveniently right where one of these oil lines, uh, you know, above-ground oil lines is. And the Iraqi government has responded, saying this is a this is illegal. They didn't request any Turkish any Turkish forces to come in. It's an invasion. It's a hostile act. And they're saying the same thing about the U.S. special forces that have come in. Um, actually, the some of the the Shiite militias that have been fighting against ISIS uh, alongside Iraqi the Iraqi army and the Kurds. Um, they have. They do not like the Americans. They've said if they see any Americans, they're basically going to treat them as a hostile enemy force. So um, things are just are getting pretty crazy at the moment. Um, it looks like the the U.S., Turkey, and their allies in the, U- the U.K., Germany, they're all trying to get in there and to worm their way in. And it looks like they're the, the only thing I can the only reason I can see for this is that they just want to make things a whole lot more difficult. To actually defeat ISIS. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I was thinking as, as well. As it looks like, uh, just from recent headline just came out uh, that it looks like Turkey is sending more troops into Iraq, and with all of this, uh, with all of these troops they're sending in, uh, whether it's in Syria or Iraq, and with Iraq becoming, you know, basically that it's, he said it's an invasion that they're going to attack that and. I mean, ISIS is spreading now. Um, they've moved from uh, from Syria. They've reestablished a base in, in Libya. And it looks like what they're trying to do is trying to make the situation as difficult as possible for Russia, and while simultaneously throwing as many wrenches and gears as possible, whether it's you know bombing the uh, the Russian fighter or or just slandering them in the media, creating as much uh, smoke and mirrors as possible. And really getting desperate, and it's hard to tell what can happen, you know, with this powder keg happening right now, and uh, with uh, just so much, so much chaos in the region. There was also um, a report floating that Russia might set up um, a second air base um, in Syria. Yeah. Uh, they haven't, they haven't uh, verified that, but that, that's that's from so it's it's like. Everything is getting focused into one little tight area. Um, it doesn't, you know, that sounds like a powder keg. Yeah, it really just seems to be that there, uh, you know, not only these various, <coughs> excuse me, these various factions vying for control of of um, areas uh, where they can allow flat lines of uh, oil distribution and um, and strategic. Uh, positioning. Um, there's also this kind of uh, fierce fight for the narrative. Uh, the narrative has been uh, squelched. Uh, 
you know, you have a handful of bloggers and you have, um, uh, you know, a few alternative websites uh, that, are, that are carrying the, the video uh, uh, that we spoke of earlier with the Ministry of Defense. And, and you have almost all of the Western media uh, that, that pretty, is pretty much allowing for all of this to happen. Um, and, uh, and we actually have a caller here. Uh, let's take that right now and say hello. Hello, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Caller, are you there? Okay. Let's go back Maybe here. Just listening we, in. They might be listening in. We have a second caller and or listener in. Okay. And they were just listening in as well. Okay. I wanted to go back to the the special forces that are um, going or are already in Iraq. Um, one of the suggestions that they had for these special forces was that they could make uh, incursions into Syria and yeah. uh, do reconnaissance and, re- and report there. Um, this is 50 guys. You know, this is this is not a not a big force, but they apparently, you know, have have their uh, full of full of talents, but it would seem to me that if they if they go into Syria, they are they certainly not going to be invited. That would, um, you know, the the Syrian border should be under international legal, you know, approvals. Um, and, and if they did, and they and they send back reports, they could send back reports on anything in any particular manner or or negativity um, to justify U.S. boots on the ground in Syria. So, you know, I'm just kind of looking ahead at these 50 guys. You know, what what really is their purpose? Um, they they are in Iraq for certain aspects, but it looks like their eye is on something else. What do you think? I've heard a bunch of different reports on what these special forces, you know, a lot of it is conjecture, speculation. Um, but, you know, there's I think there's a number of different things that these gentlemen and gentlewomen could be doing over there in terms of cleaning up shop, trying to tie up loose ends, making sure certain birds don't sing, making sure that um, uh, that they are able to complete their operations that have obviously, I mean, you know, when Russia came in, they... They just put everything into into free fall for these terrorist groups, and so you have this small group of special forces going over there. Um, you know, obviously, probably vetted for this specific job, and they're doing. Um, like you said, they could be justify you know further uh, actions in the region. But when it comes down to the U.S., I mean, it seems like they don't need a justification. They're going in. They're just going to make it up, and they're going to go in and do what they want to do. Um, but I have heard that there's a, there's reason to suspect that you know there's um you know maybe they're, they're just going in to uh, to clean up and or to relocate some of their jihadis their jihadi mercenaries. Uh, 
Well, so um, along these lines, um, there's been another uh, kind of interesting dimension to the whole thing. William, you alluded to it a little earlier. Uh, like Turkey, the story of Israel's complicity in the uh, oil business um, or their deal with ISIS directly or indirectly, actually doesn't matter which. Uh, so there was a story that came out this week which um, which pointed to the large amount of, uh, of what Israel has been buying. Um, and uh, and really, you know, it's just one more um, one more kind of uh, confirmation. You know, we already know that for some reason or another, these jihadists have never actually uh, declared war or taken any serious aggressive action towards Israel. Uh, so that seems to be um, interesting, to say the very least. Uh, we also mentioned last week that um, the story of a Israel colonel uh, that was captured in Iraq fighting among uh, ISIL terrorist forces uh, who gave his name, uh, um, serial number, uh, who actually even explained uh, to the people interrogating him, you know, what his role was there and um, and what Israel was trying to do with ISIL in Iraq. Pretty damning. Um, and just this week, we learned that uh, Israel's Air Force um, had gone to Greece, where there's an S-300 uh, air defense system, which is uh, probably one of the progenitors to the S-400 system uh, that exists in, in Syria today. Um, and they were doing uh, some flight practices uh, with this technology. Um, military exercises over there with Greece. Right. So, so they were kind of learning how this thing works, um, practicing how to jam its, its signal, uh, even pinging back the signal in order to um, confuse the S-300 system. And uh, and you have to wonder why Israel would uh, even anticipate the need for doing such a thing. Um, you know, the, the given what the S-300 and 400 systems are, are capable of doing, what they're there to do in Syria. Um, so... You know, another piece there about Israel. Well, I think that when Russia entered this, it started uh, bombing ISIS targets. I, you know, I've, I lose track of how many, you know, how much of the ISIS infrastructure has been has been destroyed. But I know just recently, obviously, they up the ante and they started taking out the the oil and the oil supply lines and everything. But I think that it was just a matter of time before we saw it get to this point simply because russia was aware of what was going on there but they i suspect they knew they had to get in and they just had to take care they had to make sure that assad wasn't destroyed and syria wasn't turned into another terrorist breeding ground like libya and uh, and so they went in and you know, supported assad and they've kind of turned the tides there but they 
come out and they said, we need to stop ISIS, and that's in their money, and that's in the oil, and they earn all of this money. And so then, obviously, if Turkey, Israel, NATO nations are having them, are funding them, then it's naturally going to bring them into the conflict one way or another. And like we pointed out, Putin and Russia as a whole uh, has said, we are uh, we have this information about who is supporting them. And now basically it's either you're going to get with us or, you know, or we're going to have to out you to the people. And so now we're seeing um, Israel obviously taking some defensive measures because what the report about Israel um, buying up a ton of oil from uh, from potentially, you know, evidence to suggest that fact that came from you know Russian media is probably being leaked by you know Russian sources or, um, but they uh, this is it seems like it's just going to keep on progressing until the truth just is yanked out. You know, just forcefully, it's almost like a surgical operation. It's like this growth is being yanked out of the region. And a lot of these people who have been feeding the beast for so long, they're going to keep, um, it's going to be painful to see, but they're going to keep lying. They're going to keep obfuscating. But truth is going to just keep coming out, and it's going to create a lot of friction. Obviously, as you point out, Israel is preparing for what looks like to be preparing for uh for war, or at least to send the impression that they are preparing for war, like Turkey, sending the impression we will attack you. You know, like the U.S. and Ukraine has been going back for a long time, um, but now that Russia has basically said, look, we're a nation, we are going to work for the benefit of people and for other people in this multipolar, towards the multipolar world, now all of a sudden you see all the democracies of the world go crazy and insane because that's the last thing that these quote-unquote democracies and bastions of freedom uh, want is a free nation and making own decisions and and benefiting the rest of the planet. I don't think we can more affect that oil is very lucrative. And Israel always seems to want money. They want like the United States. I mean, uh, over over $3 billion per year in in subsidy and support. Um, and and what better way to up the uh, demand from the United States than to have its um, ass over a barrel, literally an oil barrel? Um. Well, I I think um, we're gonna we're gonna see these callers, or maybe they didn't hear us before. We're gonna try them one more time. I suspect that uh, one of them might be Stephen. Hello, caller. Are you there? Hello? Hello. No. And we have one more, probably just listening in as well, but let's make sure. Hello? Hello? Hello. Hi, caller. Yes, yeah, we can, can hear you. Hear me? Okay. Yes. Hey, this is Stephen. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Hi, Stephen. I'm doing very well, and hey. I, wanted to bring up a couple, I wanted to bring up a couple of points. Um, one of y'all mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that um, that in the Western media, even in the alternative sphere, there's very few places that you can go for like cogent information. I wanted to um I wanted to mention this location of uh, Ziad Fadel and its Syrian perspective. And um I just wanted to throw that out there. Um there's also uh Patrick Henningsen with Sunday Wire. And um 
aside from those two, um, it's very, very difficult to find a, a coherent narrative. And um, I wanted to point up in this whole mess the um, interesting, the interesting phenomena of of the uh, the narrative inversion of of good and bad. And um, what's so what's so disconcerting and fascinating at the same time is that the United States and the um, the NATO countries, the, the West, if you will, they've been able to invert this and then implant core assumptions among intellectuals that um, undergird, you know, that that is the concrete reinforcement of their particular um, odious narrative. And that is, like, for example, Assad is a war criminal, and he barrel bombs his own people. And because of Assad's violence against his own people, we have the refugee crisis. You follow me? And um, that's the masterful part. I don't want. I don't want to say masterful, but that's the insidious part. Is that once they are able to just reinforce these core assumptions among the uh, quote-unquote informed population that Assad is the problem, um, mm-hmm. the reality gets turned upside down. So, for example, the fact is it's not a civil war. The fact is is that France, the United States, the UK, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey have been the, the, the prime forces to um, send in mercenary terrorists that terrorize the population. They take over territory. That is, in fact, the, um, the, the, the source of the instability and the terror that has caused the refugee crisis. And, um, exactly, Stephen. And, 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 and I would just that, I would just add I would just add that um, you know we we've come across a number of articles, especially in the mainstream press, that call it a civil war, uh, and it's anything but pathetic. Uh, it's a manufactured war. If it, if if there was a a real viable um, political opposition in Syria. Um, you know, with a with a real leader who had some kind of credentials and and uh, and credibility, uh, then maybe we could we could go there. Uh, but this isn't a civil war. Uh, it's it's a civil war in name only. Um, so go ahead. Just, I was going to say, yeah. if it were a civil war, would it give us the right to to go in and start bombing? Uh, start bombing Assad or or whatnot. I mean, I think that you know they've they've just lied so much and got it all twisted up and around that you know you can't even take a word what, that they say anymore. And, and you know the other thing I would like to to mention, um, you guys mentioned the uh, Putin speech, State of the Nation speech, um, which which I thought was just incredibly masterful. Um, this guy's just like I've got total faith in, and um, I know in this age. You know, we're supposed to be all jaded and stuff, but no, just looking at Putin's actions and what he says, I have faith in this guy. And um, you know what else? Um, I watched a video today, and I found it on Syria Reddit. And it, what is a video, short video about um, young schoolgirls um, greeting the Syrian army in homes. And it was about maybe five minutes long, and they, they go, they form a line, these beautiful young ladies, and they're shaking the hands, you know, each one 
they shake every hand of the soldiers, and like a couple of women were just crying, you know, saying, hey, thank you so much for your sacrifice. I cried. I cried when I saw that. And, um, you know, I just think it's so freaking tragic that what we're really facing right now and what Putin is trying to do, he's trying to reinforce the notion that we have international law that should, at the end of the day, be something that we have as a as as a form of order for the world community. And what we're facing right now is just that these so-called Western democracies, which they're not, they're, they're autocracies and plutocracies, they use propaganda and they just like, they're attacking the, uh, the viability of the nation state under international law. And that's one of the main things that Putin is trying to do there. He's trying to maintain that there even exists the viability of international law and state sovereignty. And, um, you know, when I listen to some of the liberals, they, they will be critical of the U.S., you know, some of the even the peace activist types. But when I listen to their narratives, they conflate so much, you know, they, they, they internalize some of these core assumptions that are just totally false, you know, that, that Assad's some kind of a madman that just enjoys bombing neighborhoods of his own citizens you know and and it's so what what's so disconcerting about where we're at now and why you guys at sought and just very few other places really just present a consistent narrative that is that that is close to the truth and that's the scariest part when i'm when i'm trying to find i'm an information like Porter. I'm just trying to always find information, see what these narratives of people are, and there's just so few sources. Um, and, mm-hmm. for example, I, I listen to a program, and it comes from Germany. It's a weekly program. It's called Quadriga, and it's in English. And they have, you know, somebody there, and they have three journalists. And uh, very rarely do they ever have a Russian journalist on there. But So they're all generally Western NATO toadies. And their whole, like, discourse is, like, they're going to decide who gets to rule Syria. And it was so, it was just, it almost made me want to puke. But this is the kind of stuff that, that we're bombarded with, these assumptions that, that, um, that are false, and then that the United States and NATO is there to, like, um, you know, to try to bring some kind of order or justice to the area. It's just so sickening, and um, I think this is a very dangerous situation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you with this. I find it. Um, the other thing I'm, I'm having trouble finding any narration on, any explanation about just that that's cogent, <laughs> is this: What the f is Germany doing there? What the heck is? Um, UK doing there, and then you mm-hmm. just, you guys mentioned that Turkey went into Iraq. This is I'm trying to figure out what's their larger game plan. I think it's to partition Syria, and um, but I think it's just so smarmy that um, I heard that that Merkel said that she wasn't going to coordinate their their aircraft in Syrian airspace with the Syrian government or Russia. I mean, mm-hmm. this is absolutely bonkers and then you also mentioned about the u.s putting a uh an air base in a corner of syria i mean this is out freaking rages i mean it just boggles my mind and and i mm-hmm. think that they think they have russia in a corner 
where they can come mm-hmm. in there and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to be here, we're going to fight ISIL, you know, and all that. But their their real game plan, of course, is to destroy the Syrian government, get Russia out of there, because then they're, the next target, the next big target after they neutralize Iraq as well is to go after Iran. And uh, I'm just going to leave you with this, is I think that their biggest fear, the, the international terrorists and lawbreakers, that support them. Their biggest fear is that there's a block of countries in that region, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Shia. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize it as a Shia block. I think it's just a block of nations that insist on sovereignty, being able to cooperate, and that the, they should be able to mutually protect themselves. So they they're they're not under the thrall or domination of foreign powers. And that's their biggest fear is they wanted to totally destroy that block that China and Russia and other countries would back from even developing. And I think that's what, 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 what's unclear to me is um, it just doesn't make any sense why U.K. is getting in there and then mm-hmm. Germany's coming in there. I mean, it makes sense in, in the, the NATO-U.S. kind of, like, goals, right? But... Um, even to their own populations, what they're presenting as their rationale for being there, it just doesn't make sense. And it also, like, it just seems like it's a testimony to the, the power of intense propaganda that can just flip the whole scenario, and they just stick to these core assumptions that are totally false, that they can just, like, that, that there's, like, people just accept their rationale on the surface for even being there of fighting like ISIL or whatever. It's just so absurd, but that's where we're at right now is in the human society. We have the Internet. We have just like so much, a plethora of more sources of information. But it's just incredible to me how in, in, the, in, in the face of this, the fractal nature of information flows today, that, that you just, it's so hard to find any kind of counter or different narrative to the just propaganda lies that are just like promulgated day on day in and day out. But anyway, that's all I had to say, and I look forward to listening to the rest of y'all's show. Okay. Well, stand for just a minute. Stand for oh, go ahead. Even. Um, so I just want to mention that you know, here and there, uh, you you are getting voices of dissent from within the UK, from within Germany, um, just as past. Last week, uh, a German member of parliament named Sarah Wagenknecht, um, who's the deputy chair of the German Die Link or the party, criticized the government's decision to send uh, uh, the military into Syria. And with an inter- in an interview she did with uh, Walt, I'm pronouncing that correctly, Walt, um, she called it utter or sheer lunacy. And, and stated that could precipitate a third war. But, you know, it, it's like, you know, you have all of, you know, a, a population uh, coming out and protesting NATO's um, actions or its uh, its bases or, or, or any of this, and it just doesn't seem to matter. There are these pressure points that um, that have been applied to people in key positions of power. Uh, Merkel, Holland, et cetera, uh, Cameron, um, and and the media falls into lockstep, and 
you know, if you don't have a strong enough voice in the government, um, then you will, you know, you're kind of forced to go along with it as well, it seems. Um, yeah, and, I, and just the I other did, thing. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to mention the uh, the congresswoman from Hawaii. I mean, I've, I've totally fell in love with her. I know she's married. But, uh, I mean, the beauty, <laughs> beauty and conscience. I mean, wow! What what a rare combination that you ever see. And she she went to the uh, house. Uh, they had a hearing in in the Congress, and she's the only one out of six hundred and some uh, politicians in the U.S. Congress. And she was questioning. Uh, I think it was Ashton Carter about like, hey, yeah. don't you think that this could lead to nuclear war, right? And um, I just think, I mean, it's so refreshing that we at least have one out of all 600 people. We've got one person coming up and asking, you know, cogent, uh, you know, really forceful questions that, that really need to be asked lest we do get into a, a nuclear conflagration, you know. It starts with one. Yeah. And um, but which she's incredible. She's incredible. And um but like it's just such a it just blows me away that now that Obama's in power, you only get like when when um when the Democrats were were under Bush presidency, you know, of Iraq, you know, you had a lot more people, you know, coming up and questioning it and this and that. And now that Obama's in power, you only get you get one you got Dana Royerbacker who's uh who's a Republican as well. Got got my hats off to him as well. But like wow, it just it, it just blows me away the um the media the the way the, the message is controlled in the media and just like among the left progressives, how like how just discombobulated their understanding of the stakes of this is. It's just it's pretty frightening. But uh thank God for you guys being there and I'll listen to the I'll listen to the rest of y'all's show, okay? Well one last thing before we let you go, Stephen. Um, so we have a chat room uh, who um, has a lot of uh, makes a lot of pithy statements and and has some insights and they they suggested that you that you read some of the books that um, this uh, blog talk radio program is kind of inspired by and sot.net is inspired by. So I, I don't know if um, you have much time for reading these days, but we heartily suggest and remind our listeners to. Uh, to pick up political ponderology, science um, of uh, of evil adjusted for political purposes by Andrew Bachowski. Uh Look for it on Amazon. Just read what people have to say about it, and and look at the other books that, that the same readers are are having a look at. Because um, you know what we do here, uh, what we do on Sod is is uh, it. You might say it's just one level of it, um, of what we're looking at. So uh, we encourage you to have a look, and uh, again, thanks for calling in. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Well, thank th- thank you, and um, you guys, you guys hang in there. We we really we really need y'all. And um, you know, I am also just last thing. I'm very encouraged by the comments on articles. There's a lot of the population that just totally see through the lies. And um, you can see that as evidence in the comments to articles and so, which is very heartening that, you know, there's other people that see through the narrative uh, lies and uh, they know what's going on. So, anyway, y'all take care. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Rock on. You too. Thank you.
just want to make one comment on. Go ahead. I want to make one comment on something that Stephen said about the UK and Germany. So the UK had their what ten-hour-long debate on whether they were going to launch airstrikes or expand their airstrikes into Syria, and so of course they <clears throat> went ahead with that and decided, okay, yeah, we can do that. And within two hours after the decision, they launched their first set of airstrikes, allegedly. And so first of all, they'd already decided on the targets before the vote was done, and then as soon as it was done, they said, okay, go with them. And but in the news, apparently, they said that they bombed this uh, this oil field or this this oil processing plant or something like that. And they said that so they took out that target. Now it's funny that they said that because this exact target that they say they blew up um, on October 23rd, the U.S. and Russia said they each obliterated it. So what that means <laughs> is that Russia obliterated it. The U.S. took credit for it on October 23rd, and now the U.K. is taking credit for it over a month later for bombing the same target that was obliterated, you know, six weeks ago. So just to point out how ridiculous this whole thing is. They're really banking on everyone having mush for brains. That's really what yeah. they're doing on that. <laughs> Well, and just to, I know that Stephen had made a comment about in the media, and I remember, uh, you know, just how warped the media is, and I remember reading just a couple of days ago about the uh, the quote unquote uh, you know, migrant crisis being caused by by Russian airstrikes in Syria, and I just was so taken aback by the fact that anybody who could Google and see and compare dates of you know refugees fleeing and or even just a basic research into the majority of the who these refugees are and what they're fleeing could be by this and you know this is in the major mouthpiece media this is the end and this is time and it's it's really it's really just mush for brains material that is just that it goes a long way in explaining why we're in this situation why the west seems to be devolving at this rapid, rapid rate and, you know, look at Russia and their goals in the region and how they differ from ours. And it's just night and day comparing, you know, Russia's historical evolution just since the 90s and the collapse of the, you know, Soviet ideology, the collapse of their power status, their economy, their way of life and how, you know, there's, I think Putin represents something in the Russian people at large, um, and that that's where he gets so much of his strength. And it's that it seems like it was that choice to to come together and to stick it out and to to evolve and to choose to evolve through that massive disintegration. Whereas in the West, we just keep buying the same old lies, and, and it's very devolving at such a rate that I mean, it seems like Russia's already won. Well, there was um, an excellent uh, article on Sada earlier in the week called um, A Master of Political Alchemy, Putin's Speech Points the Way Forward for Russia and the World. And uh, it was originally, and basically the writer says Putin's great service to Russia is that he demonstrated the country can solve the most difficult problems in evolutionary and not revolutionary format. We have yet to appreciate and understand this, but the better we do, the better. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems to be, you know, the U.S. has been kind of 
relying upon uh, the revolution idea. Um, you know, knock down the, the, the leader it doesn't like, who it means is, uh, is hurting its own people, and, uh, and replacing it with what? Right. Uh, re- replacing it with, uh, with utter chaos for, and, and destruction and sickness for years and years. And, you know, it's just amazing that we, you know, even after um, Iraq War II uh, and, and the whole weapons of mass destruction lie, that the U.S. is still capable of going into Libya and now is doing it with Syria. I mean, it, it's like, uh, you know, are, are we that as a, as a, as a civilization blinded to uh, what just happened um, and what her rent outcome was? Yes. That's the answer. <laughs> right. And what what ends up more than these terrorist attacks these, uh, that we just see coming up, blinding the, the public again uh, with a San Bernardino uh, terrorist attack that are just, they call them terrorists, even though the people who uh, perpetrated them, from what I've read, they were found handcuffed in a vehicle. And I wasn't sure if they were shot up or, or not, but... Their initial report said that men in military fatigues, white men in military fatigues, were carrying out these attacks, and now it's, and then it turns out that it's the people who were handcuffed in the back of a vehicle. I mean, all you know, yeah, it's not just that. It was, similar. So it was one, this one guy, and his 90-pound wife. So how right. anyone could, how anyone could could mistake those two people for you know uh, white guys in military fatigues? There's also there's pictures available from the final kind of shootout that they had, and uh, well, well, what the result of it apparently, and so the earliest picture it shows, it shows the the SUV on the side of the road. On the other side of the road, you can see the guy's body, and he's lying down on the ground, and there's a there's a big pool of blood um, coming out, you know, from from the top of his body, and then as the pictures progress, you can see the the SWAT team arrive, and um, and by the final photo, there's an M16 or some kind of rifle next to this guy's body that wasn't there in the first picture. So you can see in the first picture, you can see the guy in the blood and a little a little black thing that looks like it might be a kind of holster or something like that. By the time the, all the cops get there, now there's a rifle next to his body. This guy was obviously he was dead in the first shot and he was dead in the, in the last shot. Now in the last shot, there's a close up of his body. He's handcuffed. But the body's been moved, so it's in a. Um, before it was parallel to the to the fence by the side of the road, and now it's perpendicular. And there's a gun leaning up against the against the, the side of the road. And then you see the woman um, by the by the SUV. So she wasn't outside of the car when it started, but by the time the cops get there, got there, something happened. But now she's outside, and she's wearing a short skirt. She's not wearing any military fatigues. And she's a tiny woman, so there's just there's something she's really weird woman. going on. Yeah, there's there's some weird stuff going on there. Then there was there was something about uh, their apartment being overrun by media. Uh, yeah, do you yeah. want to talk about that? Yeah, wasn't it that the they just spent their apartment basically all of this evidence in this this scene essentially wasn't a crime scene, but it contained a lot of evidence that. They just opened it up to all the reports that come through and, and just ruffle through all of their belongings. 
I mean, just mm-hmm. go through all of their stuff and contaminate the entire scene. I mean, if this isn't the most revulsive uh, act of trial by media that has ever been committed, I mean, that is that just blows my mind. They just go in there and say, hey, you got a press pass, go ahead, go through stuff. You want to take car for a spin? Yeah, go ahead. That's ridiculous. Well, it seems to me that, um, you know, we said before how um, perfectly timed this was a distraction for all the information coming out about its connections to ISIS and the oil. Um, but, of course, it, it's it's providing more fuel for the the demonization and, and Islamophobia uh, that it's, um, you know, that's kind of being fed in the West, um, you know. You heard the story that the guy and his wife, you know, they apparently belonged to a, uh, a local mosque, and um, and people who knew him were kind of shocked uh, by his behavior because they said he was, you know, very kind of mild mannered and 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 just a just a nice guy. Um, so you know, you have to wonder. So now it comes out that this uh, that this this guy. Who may or may not have had ties to ISIS? I think the FBI at some point said uh, that he may, you know, was being treated as a terrorist case. Um, you know, so now, you know, in public's conscience or consciousness, there's this. Uh, a couple of things are being tied together, and it's that oh, you you really can't trust the Muslims, even the nice ones, because look at what they do. Right. And of course, this this rampage through their apartment is kind of giving. Yeah. Uh, tacit um, permission for the public to feel as though I think it's it's a kind of first step. You know, you can do this. You can. You know, laws don't apply. What's that? Laws don't laws don't apply yeah, in no... the case of Muslims yeah. and terrorism. Yeah. So um, uh, it's really a it's really a horrible and, and tragic event on a number of levels, and um, and senseless. And and horribly senseless. Uh, you know, was it uh, fourteen people who were, who were killed that day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and we saw the great NSA tracking and and you know video and photos and and facial recognitions and you know looking at permits and whatever whatever. How did these two people you know accumulate all of that firepower? With a, a six-month-old baby, <laughs> you know, just none of the things. He just bought a house, I believe. I yeah, he bought, bought a house. He just had a baby, and then the NSA jobs, right? And so now, you know, we're being told that you know, they're they were crazy, deranged fundamentalists, or whatever. Don't don't listen to the news, initial news reports. Just believe what. Whatever you know, narrative uh, has come out, and I mean, and it's at the time that an even bigger narrative is coming out about NATO, Turkey, Israel's role in funding these groups that they are blaming. You know, with one hand they're you know giving money, and with the other hand they're you know saying this is well, look at this guy, you know, look at this puppet, he's you know coming to get you. And it's that same old fear mongering, uh, just kind of referencing the the book that you brought up earlier, you know, political ponderology, and and all of the research that's done on people who have 
with lack of conscience or, you know, who are born without a conscience, who are just pathologically depraved, that they, from an early age, realize that they can shock people and get them to do what they want. If they shock someone, they get them off their guard. They, you know, when people are afraid or or have anxiety, their brain shuts down. You know, they don't get as much blood flow to the cortical centers, and then they're much easier to lie to. They're much easier to manipulate, and and then you know, then these people rise into power and they become the fear mongerers. You know that we see, like you know, all the Donald Trumps and all of them who say we need to isolate and make all of these. Uh, the wrong, people of the wrong religion wear uh, badges. We need to intern them. I mean, and it's just the simple fact that there's this information out there regarding what our Western civilization has just went through decades ago, and what is all the information that's come out about what's been going on since. You now, whether you know, it could be Nazi Germany, it could be Vietnam, it could be. Uh, I mean, it just on and on and on, and yet. Because of this fear, the information is just not sinking in, and because a lot of people just chose to just go with the flow. Well, and they know, and they know how well false flag work. You know, this is this is trump card. This is their hundred percent surety. The mainstream media, which is bought and paid for, you know, you don't bite the hand that feeds you, um, will uh, you know obliterate all other news with whatever the headline is. And, and so no matter what the revelations are from from Russia or Putin or um, the Russian defense ministry, um, they don't get any, any play in the news. Not that they would get any great play anyways, but they, they, the news is taken over by these stories. Well, this is, this is something that has gotten some play in the news, and it gets back to what you were saying a moment ago, Corey, about Trump. I mean, uh, Trump, uh, Donald Trump has been, um, uh, as, as many of us already know, running for uh, the Republican ticket for the presidency of the United States and has, and has captured quite a bit of uh, support up until now. Anyway, uh, last Wednesday he made an appearance on Fox and Friends, this a, a Fox News program, and, and he said something that, uh, I mean, it just... It surprised me even who's a, a Bohemian, but uh, people said Hitler was Bohemian too. So I guess that doesn't mean anything. But what he said was um, that he would not only bomb the shit out of ISIS, uh, he'd hunt their loved one down and kill them too. Um, because though he would do his best to avoid collateral damage, that is what he says, he goes on to say, I mean, one of the problems that we have and one of the reasons that we're so ineffective is they're trying to, they're using them as shields. A horrible thing. They're using them as shields. But we're fighting a very politically correct war. And the other thing is with the terrorists, you have to take out their families. When you get these terrorists, you have to take out their families. They care about their lives. Don't kid yourself. But they say they don't care about their lives. You have to take out their families. So, uh, well, first of all, that's a total lie. A politically correct war? What a, well, I mean, just how many uh, Doctors Without Borders hospitals have been bombed the past two months? I think, I think four Doctors Without Borders hospitals. I mean, there's just another one. And there's another one. So, yeah, I just had to step in and just to, to call them out on that politically correct war is. is I'm not sure that there's ever been one fought. Russia is the closest 
to actually avoid lateral damage. Otherwise, if you just looked at what's been going on in the Middle East and in uh, and in Libya, I mean, you you would think that is a genocide. That's the only rational conclusion you'd come to once you see the number of people who've been murdered, and to say that you have to kill their families too, that's just goes to show how I think depraved he is, and how if for his popularity level to be so high, it shows just how depraved so many people in this country are. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yeah, and uh, and the problem is that. Every time you have another one of these shootings, um, like the one we had this week in San Bernardino, uh, which, by the way, I mean, uh, commenters and people who are looking at the numbers of shootings the, the past uh, 25, 30 years, has never been, uh, not even close, the number of mass shootings and fatalities as we've had under um, the Obama administration as with any other. Uh, administration. Um, and it really speaks to the uh, aggressiveness of those people and those groups that would uh, seek right now uh, to certify and expand their their global um, Western power-tripping domination agenda. Uh, and um, and it works at a local level, and this is the local level. I mean, look, look at look at what's happened in Paris. Uh, look at the number of attacks on uh, on innocent uh, Muslim uh, citizens of France in the past month since the Paris attacks. It, it's it's gone through the roof. Same in the UK. And the uh, you know those uh, far right political parties in France and Germany and. Across Europe, are experiencing a huge rise in popularity. Um, I know that, like, uh, I think, I believe it's because in France, tipped to the control of two of France's 13 mainland regions for the first time. Um, they win leadership positions uh, in the poorest region, France, which I think goes to show you know how desperation and retribution connect here and how it's being manipulated. Was that the party, was that Pegida or the or the the party of uh um Le Pen? That's the party of Le Pen. Okay. Yeah. And um I get them all confused. I mean they're all they seem the same to me. Um but I mean the same thing happening in Germany and uh using fear and you know, using this uh uh momentum created by all of the these crises to continue and push the this far right agenda. I mean, it really makes the, this these far right Nazis and the terrorists look like flip side of the same coin. You know, just the same pathological people pushing for total control. You know, right now, like they're fishing, they're out there and fishing for converts. And you now that's something. That, I guess that's just another phase mm-hmm. in the downward spiral. Well, so getting back for a moment to the downing of the, uh, the Russian bomber versus Syrian airspace, um, it's, it's very interesting how, how little pieces of information about that are, are forming the bigger picture and, and, and giving us an even better idea of, of what's been involved there. Um, 
in one article on SOP this week, um, there was a discussion of the fact that a um, there's a U.S. Air Force General Selva uh, who had visited Ankara uh, to discuss terror in Syria. And this was pretty much just prior to and during uh, the downing of the plane. Um, it says that uh, you know he's been commencing with official talks with Turkish officials, um, and there was another uh, piece of information. This one even more compelling. Um, and a Russian military expert basically stated that uh, the Turkish F-16 was guided by U.S. Uh, recognizance to take down the Russian jet. Uh, so basically, the F-16 could not have done what it did without uh, aerial guidance um, and assistance uh, in the form of timing, direction, logistics, um, you know, without U.S. assistance. Uh, this is big news. Um, and uh, if we know it from an article, uh, sure as hell Russia knows it uh, and, and is playing very cool at the moment. But basically what the article stated was this. Uh, a U.S. Air Force Boeing E-3 Century AWACS plane took off on 24 November from the Preveza Air Base in Greece. A second E-3A of the Saudi Arabian Air Force took off from the Riyadh Air Base. Both planes were executing a common task, determining the precise location of Russian aircraft. It is they that picked the victim. The American E-3A was supposed to determine the activity of the Su-24M2's onboard targeting radar to determine if it was in search mode or if it was already locked onto a target and was processing launch data. It is known that the AWACS can direct the activity of aircraft in battle, conveying information to their avionics and flight computers. That is to determine how defenseless, and the question is, to determine how defenseless was our plane, the Russian plane? And uh, the analyst is, as it turns out, yes. As we know, the Su-24M2 was returning from its mission. That flight computer was operating in navigation mode independent with GLONASS, Russian GPS system. It was returning to base and was not preparing for action. The whole time, the E-3s were transferring detailed information about the Su-24M2 to a pair of Turkish F-16 CJs. This plane has been specifically built for Turkey. Its distinctive feature is a computer that controls a new ANAPG-68 radar system and which fulfills the role of co-pilot navigator. And um, and the in the interview, uh, he goes on to say, uh, the interception accuracy of the F-16 CJ fighters was augmented by a ground-based U.S. Patriot Air defense system, which are deployed in Turkey, or more precisely, their multi-role AN-MPQ-53 radars. The Patriot can work with an E-3 or with Mentor spy satellites, and it can't be ruled out that the satellite assets involved the Geostat space system as well. Um, so uh, it goes into some detail there. 
I do encourage everybody to have a look at this article. It was put up a few days ago. Russian military expert, Turkish F-16 guided by U.S. recon to take down Russian jet. So what what you're really saying is they did a triangulation, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, they knew where this plane was going to be. Right. And they they just waited it out. Um, I think the there was there was one glitch though in the the Turkish execution of this, and it, and it was that they had lifted off their planes, the F-16s, um, almost two minutes late, which allowed a different a slightly different distance for the Russian plane to travel in and it and it kind of messed up their their whole plan. Yeah, and that that's well according to that military expert that was um because of that um that delay in taking off that is why the Turks ended up in Syrian airspace. So according to this guy the plan was probably for uh to hit the plane slightly before um, it actually was hit, and the, the 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 Turkish jets still would have been in Turkish airspace. But because they took off that little bit too late, they ended up crossing the border and entering Syrian airspace. So that might uh, that might explain a couple things, like why the they went ahead with this um, with this story about the <clears throat> the Russian jet being the one that crossed into Turkish airspace and the the Turkish jets staying in Turkish airspace. That was their their story that they had beforehand didn't actually play out that way, um, at least according to this uh, this military expert guy. That would uh, that would help explain why Erdogan was so panicky and so you know, after immediately after downing the jet, uh, it wasn't necessarily that he had no foreknowledge of this. It was simply that okay, so this is not how it was supposed to happen. All right, guys, so let's convene a meeting and where do we go from here? And, you know, since then, he's acted like a wishy-washy punk anyhow, but, um, you know, that's to be expected probably from these guys. It's amazing how many back layers there are to this story that are coming out, you know, just by accident that they that they spotted this plane. It wasn't just that they weren't on the same communication, you know, channel with with the Russian plane. It, it wasn't that, you know, they 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 had one tree that they saw was in Syria and another and a rock that was in Turkey and a, and it was closer to the rocks than the than the tree. I mean it's there's just so much more to this story that's going to probably still be coming out um and validating the Russian side of this, you know, narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well the the Greeks have come forward and they've they've confirmed on their end that the the Russian jets stayed in Syrian airspace. So there's that. Um, also on the 26th, so this was just what, two days after it happened, um, FARS News Agency, the Iranian news uh, agency, came out with a story. Um, well, actually, it originally came from Sputnik uh, Arabia, so the Russia's um, Persian language Sputnik website. Um, a reporter there talked to some some uh, a Syrian officer that he knows is stationed in Latakia, and so this guy told him a story that um, the rescue operation for the downed pilot was led by 
an IRGC. This is the Iranian kind of Revolutionary Guard guys. Uh, the Codes Force Commander Major General Soleimani. Uh, this guy's pretty famous. Uh, we've had a couple articles on him on SOT. You can search. You can check him out. But uh, apparently he he led this, he pretty much led the, the rescue operation with some Hezbollah fighters and some Syrian commandos, and of course the Russians as well. And, but there's some interesting details in this story, because apparently um, the way they tell it, as soon as this happened, as soon as the plane went down, as soon as the Russians figured, figured out what was going on, um, this guy, Soleimani, got together this force, this this task force, to go and rescue the, the pilot or the navigator. And they went in and um, immediately activated some electronic, some Russian electronic warfare. So remember, that after this happened, the Russians said, okay, well, now we're going to bring in our electronic warfare and start using it. Um, but, you know, it's probably, there's there's been stuff there already. So apparently they, they used it to jam the communications that were going on in the region between these Turkmen um, fighters, these you know so-called moderate terrorists, and uh, they went in. They penetrated like six kilometers into this kind of enemy lines to to save these guys. And with helicopters and the electronic warfare, they were able to get in and know every know what was going on, and basically get the guy uh, get the guy out of there. Now another bit of the some of the interesting details in there is that they said that these guys, these Turkmen that were operating in the area, had high-tech equipment that was newly delivered to them, that they were operating with um, kind of directly with the Turkish, um, with Turkish oversight, basically. Now, this, this has been known for a while that the Turks have been funding and aiding and, uh, and controlling these Turkmen rebels um, in northern Syria on the border with Turkey. But um, apparently the plan was that the Turks wanted to, to get the navigator and or the pilot um, alive. But that the Turkmen, first of all, they killed the, the pilot, but the, the Turks wanted the navigator alive, and apparently they had a deal with these Turkmen, and they wanted to get him alive in order to use him for some kind of blackmail purpose for Russia. But they weren't expecting, um, well, the Turks or their Turkmen weren't expecting for this task force to, to get on the ground so quickly and to be so effective. So um, one more detail of the story um, that, let me just find it here. Um, so they possessed, yeah, these Turkmen had had high-tech weapons, including ground-to-ground and ground-to-air weapons that were not that are not even supplied to a large number of countries that are Washington's NATO allies. So these guys had weapons that NATO wouldn't even give, you know, NATO members that Washington wouldn't give to NATO members. Sorry, and that uh, well, there was one more thing: the Turks. There was something about Turkish. Um, Turkish military involvement. Let me just see if I can find that. Uh, well, guys, go ahead. If I find it, I'll let you guys know. Okay. Thanks, Harrison. Um, well, one of the other things about uh, this particular story, I think, was that the, the Russians were concerned that the Western satellites would leak the operation to the terrorists. And yes. So part of yeah, their black, blacking out um, efforts uh, solved problems. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I found a little bit that uh, on the on the Turkish units, they say credible information was obtained that a number of special Turkish units had been sent to the scene to take the Russian pilot captive to blackmail Russia later. So that actually there were actually Turkish special forces kind of people in there in addition to these um, kind of local Turkmen. So it seems like there was a lot of stuff going on in the background that uh, that hasn't really become public knowledge. And this is this story was only published on Fars and Times of Israel picked it up. But uh, you know, there's no there's been no real um, kind of look into it Play. in the Western media. Yeah. So I, just, I found that very interesting. And yeah, like you said, Karen, that the, they were worried that the U.S. Would basically get the get the recon information in order to feed to the Turks so that they could find this guy. That's why the Russians used their their electronic warfare to jam these signals so that they could get to the pilot first. So it looks like there was a plan. The, the, the Turks maybe had a bigger plan than than just to take down this jet, and that the the Russians with the Iranians and the Syrians managed to kind of stop it from from escalating to that point. Now. Um, I'm thinking that maybe that is one of the reasons why um, why it just looks like it's, it was a total a total bad decision on Turkey's part. It would have been any uh, regardless of you know what would have happened. It still would have been a bad decision. But um, maybe this explains why it just looks like a total example of them shooting themselves in the foot is because they didn't actually achieve what they initially wanted to achieve. Um, maybe if this, if the Iranian, if the rescue operation hadn't gone so well, maybe it wouldn't have played out so badly against Turkey. I don't know. Well, there's and and the other thing was that all of this activity to rescue this, this person was monitored uh, by the Russian satellites, um, and mm-hmm. every moment of the operation was reported to the Kremlin, according to the article. Yeah. So you you have to you have to believe that Putin was you know sitting in in his chair just like Obama was sitting in his chair with the Obama uh, with the, uh, of Saddam Hussein <clears throat> uh, and monitoring this whole operation. It's, it, you know he, he can't on he's, he's involved. You know? mm-hmm. Well, the kind of. Uh, that kind of brings up a another level to this, and that is, is um, even though you have these kind of uh, diplomatic means between love, love and and carry uh, just into the surface, they know exactly. Uh, you know, Lavrov is probably sincere, and and not probably he is, and and just stating things very plainly. Uh, you know, we've been hearing a lot of statements from him lately about country supporting terrorism and and uh just kind of just being as frank about the whole situation as Putin been in his speeches and um and so but they still uh you know the only avenue available to Russia diplomatically um and politically uh is to continue to to offer um a of some kind to say, look, guys, we know what shit you're pulling here. We've been saying it more or less, but we don't want to do this with you. We don't want to be in this dance. We would like to to rectify this as peaceably as possible. Um, 
so so imagine that uh you know all of this is is happening uh just under the surface um and uh and the US is just relentless i you know i'd, I'd like to i'd like to say to ashton carter and obama and, and their puppets i'd like to say guys you're really stupid <laughs> you you really don't know what you're doing uh you're really you're outmatched it's a it's a classic case here uh but i know you feel compelled to continue to do this but if there's anything in you that has even a shred of wisdom uh or even self-preservation just cut it out find a way to just stop because it, you know you might you might succeed at, you know in in killing some more people in fact you probably will uh we know this but uh at the end of the day uh it's you guys who are going to pay the piper in the worst way and um and just cut it out there there is something you said um with the Russian ships that were trying across the Bosphorus and they got held up by by the the Turks for hours and hours and hours while all these other you know boats and subs or whatever were were able to just glide right through from uh you know one sea to the other to the the Bosphorus um and he said our actions will always be guided primarily by responsibility to ourselves, to our country, to our people. We are not going to rattle the saber, but if someone thinks they can commit heinous crimes, kill our people and get away with it, suffering nothing but a ban on tomato imports or a few restrictions in construction or other industries, they are delusional. We'll remind them of what they did more than once. They'll regret it. We know what to do. So, pretty strong words. I think that it's it's uh, it's like that saying, uh, "Wise as serpents and gentle as doves." I mean, they know what's going on, and they know exactly. I mean, they're just masters of of this, uh, of this campaign. That they're, they're, I mean, just masters of self control. And like you, like it was said earlier, it was um, their actions will always be guided by responsibility. So they're not going to up the ante. They're not going to fall into these traps. They're not going to become overly emotional. But they will constantly reaffirm that they are on the right side of history, and they will do it over and over and over again until the bitter end. That just remind the world they are on the right side of history, and just keep on ringing that bell until more and more people start waking up to it. And uh, just just reminds me, um, just bringing up Iran's in you know some of these operations here that um they uh I think it was a French aircraft carrier was it the Segal had just been moved from region and had been mm-hmm. moved from Syria. Yeah, um you had a uh, President Lon himself flew in with a big helicopter and landed on the deck of that ship and let all the sailors know that they have a mission. They're gonna be moving to the Persian Gulf. Uh, I think that's pretty interesting. And it's right away. It's not something I'm bothered to right away. And that's a ship right off the Iranian coast. So there's a chess piece being moved that's rather curious. Now, UK had sent a bunch of ships to help keep, you know, to help protect that French carrier. It'll be interesting to see if 
those ships also get moved to the Persian Gulf as well. Well, you know, that, that kind of reminds me of Assad's recent statement. Um, he came out and said that, you know, France supports terrorism, um, more or less. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder uh, a couple of different things might be the case here. Uh, one may be that uh, Assad was talking to Putin and, and they decided that um, oh, we're getting a kind of a, a glitch here, folks. Can uh, can our chatters just let us know if we're being heard okay? Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so, uh, so, did Assad say something to um, to to Russia? I don't know if they have that kind of pull. I think that Russia are you know Russia's uh, strategic and and their intelligence is is kind of run the show there. Um, but another thought about that, William, and I wonder if you know, can just it out there was blunt uh, by his masters. That, uh, that, he, that the plan has been changed, and that's why he had to move his naval vessel to the Gulf instead of uh, off the shores of Syria. That's a very good question, and it makes you wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a big piece of the on the chessboard. A big aircraft carrier going and sitting off the coast of Iran. There. Well, I have a little addendum to my to my. Uh, to my little uh, admonitions and words of wisdom to uh, NATO and allied forces. And that is, you know, uh, in the future, guys, uh, when people look back at these last 15 or or so years and even further back, uh, it's you guys that are going to be compared to Nazi Germany, not Russia. Uh, any bit of truth that survives this coming time is going to point to you guys. You guys are going to be the villains. You are the villains. Um, and for whatever it's worth, I mean, if 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 any of this can be changed, change it uh, to something else, to something constructive, because no good can come of this. And on top of it, um, it's Putin who's going to be held as the as a, a kind of champion of humanity. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's any exaggeration whatsoever to say such a thing, even though that, that may seem like quite a statement at this time. Um, but the history book that he was the one doing the right things in, in all of most of the situation there. So, there. I got it out there. <laughs> Edgar Cayce predicted that, what, 50 years ago? <laughs> yes. That's right. Having a Casey moment. <laughs> I'm channeling Casey a little bit. So, so yeah, we have uh, quite a cauldron uh, being developed in Syria uh, with with uh, fast breaking news. A lot of information being divulged. A lot of disinformation as well. Um, uh, as you were saying, Harrison, next week uh, the Ministry of Defense in Russia is going to uh, divulge even more information. It'll be interesting to know what it is. Um, I have a feeling that uh, 
if if there is one more stupid move on the part of uh, Israel, they're going to get slammed well in some way. And um, and I mean, what what did Russia really do in response to Turkey? Um, it it basically kind of began several economic ties, which is huge. Uh, but it's also kind of um, it's just the first step in in saying, you know, you have become the enemy, and uh, and no, we're not going to line Russian troops up to to the border, at least not yet. And we're not going to do anything stupid and fall into your NATO uh, developed trap. Uh, but we're going to do everything we can to make sure uh, that you're miserable. Because um, we have the power to do so, and and we know that you're not worthy of any amount of trust or friendship that's been offered for so long. Yeah, Russia keeps letting NATO prove that themselves time and time again. I mean, they're really turning NATO into their own worst enemies. Yeah. So, well, just one one thing. In addition to the the Russian Ministry of Defense, <clears throat> there apparently there's two other sources of information that might come out this week. Um, first, the 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 Iranians have come have come forward saying they have data on the on Turkey's involvement, and also a Turkish opposition member, you know, part of the part of the government there has said he has um, he has evidence. I think he said it was tying um, Erdogan and his family to to the, the smuggling. I, I can't remember if it was that specific or not, but that he, his investigation will be done in, in the next week, and then he's going to release it. So, I don't know. I hope he doesn't get arrested and put in prison before <laughs> anything's, right. uh, before he's able to release no, he, anything. Well, he was the same one who boasted that he gave the, the firing order on that uh, Russian bomber. The prime minister? Yes. Oh, I, I I don't think I don't I didn't think it was the prime minister that was saying that. Is it? Yeah, Don Taglo, whatever his name is. Hmm. Okay. Well, well, well that's, uh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. So uh, one of our daughters just popped up the uh, Edgar Casey quote and. Uh, in Russia, there comes the hope of the world. How does that sometimes term the communistic Bolshevik? No. Freedom. That each man will live for his fellow men. The principle has been born. It will take use for it to personalize. But out of Russia comes again the hope of the world. Uh, which was said by Edgar Cayce in 1944. Or at least that's when it was printed. Anyway, take it for what it's worth. Um <laughs> You know, it's, it, it certainly seems to be uh, any country in, on the planet at, at the moment that has the power, the will, the intelligence, and the forces to uh, to become uh, the hope of the world, um, so that uh, so that people can live like brothers uh, and live for their fellow man. It would seem to be Russia. Um, so that's kind of it's kind of the the really important reason why this information should be shared and and gotten out there. Uh 
people should understand what they're seeing and what they're hearing. Um, because without it, I, I mean, it, it's just invaluable information. Uh, we're, we're watching history on a major scale unfold. Um, and if there are people who to write books and, and to uh, teach history classes, uh, these will be uh, the events that we discussed and analyzed and uh, and hopefully thought about and reflected upon for a very long time to come. During um, yeah. his national speech, he also brought up uh, Dmitry Ivanovich Mendelov. He uh, has this quote, Divided, they will destroy us immediately. Our strength is in unity, in the army, in benevolent nepotism, in multiplying the gains of the people, and in internal growth of our inner wealth and love for peace. I think we would find that people all over the world would resonate to that kind of, of you know, um, including you know people in the United States. Would they know what their government is really doing? I think so too. Uh, and and the people in Turkey, and and maybe a small percentage of people in Israel, and um, and they're not. Yeah, <laughs> we're joking here, because so much of Israel seems to be blinded by its own hatred of of uh, an indifference to Palestinians and their and their struggles. Um. Did we have anything that we wanted to add to this? I just wanted okay. to clarify. I found that uh, that article on the Turkish guy. It's actually Aaron Erdem. He's a lawmaker from the Republican People's Party, which is Turkey's largest opposition party. And he says that he's ready to publicize information this week linking Berat Albayrak, the pres- uh, President Erdogan's son-in-law, and the, Tur- the Turkish Ministry of Energy and Natural Resources uh, to the Daesh oil trade. So he's got information on those three individuals. Yeah. There was there was also um an Erdogan leak. Um it was in a, a Tony Cartolucci um article and it said the leak uh there were there were leaked details of Erdogan's thoughts um that an attack on Syria must be seen as an opportunity for Turkey. Um, and then his chief, Fiden, said that he would send four men from to attack Turkey to make a cost for war. Um, and, and so then, you know, if, if you if you really think about it, if Turkey is shooting down warplanes uh, that are attacking supposedly Turkish territory, then certainly Syria has a right to do the same with uh you know, planes that would be attacking theirs. But it was, but it was interesting that this these, you know, machinations um are leaking out those these thoughts on and, and attack plans and, and this this is how the, the stuff gets started. Yeah, and I just had one <clears throat> let's one more to say just about Putin and and how the West kind of blinded, so we don't get to see everything that he has 
has to offer us as a leader. And I mean, I think that just Putin, what he embodies is is that principle of as long as we stick together, as long as we focus on being excellent to one another and sacrificing for one another, look at what is possible. Look at the world as it could be. Look at look at who we could be as human beings if we were to just to unite. And even though you know, I mean, look at where Putin and look at where Russia came from in the '90s. Look at that ultimate disintegration. I think that Putin right now shows us that never lose hope and always do your best for one another. That's what I think. That's the kernel of what I see when I see Putin and Russia down the world stage. In fact, there was an article that just came out that the most Russians would uh, have Putin extend his term as 2018. Um, they, you know, obviously, they recognize the quality of the man uh, and what he's been able to accomplish and, and value his words and deeds um, because they see it as it's tangible. It's, uh, it's, it's touched something in them that they that they understand viscerally. Um, and I think it's so important that, you know, I mean, it's such a big blockage that America doesn't see that. It's, it's how many millions and millions of Americans are in poverty? I mean, how many millions of Americans are living almost worse than the Soviet peasantry, you know, just because of this isolation and because we, are, we don't have the support systems for one another? So, you know, I just, it's uh, it's travesty that this message has been distorted the way it has been. Yes. Well, you know, on that note, um, there was an article on Sot this past week, which uh, really caught my eye and got a response from a number of people as well who who liked it. And, um, you know, if... That's true of Putin and, and Russia, um, Corey, and, and all those sentiments you expressed just now. Uh, this article by James Howard Kunstler, entitled The American Storyline Dissolves, uh, seems to be um, capturing the essence of what's happening here. And uh, I'd like to read it in total. Uh, and it begins. Sometimes societies just go crazy. Japan, 1931. Germany, 1933. China, 1966. Spain, 1483. France, 1793. Russia, 1917. Cambodia, 1975. Iran, 1979. Rwanda, 1994. Congo, 1996, to name some. Like pretty... In time when anything goes, especially mass killing. The wheels came off the USA in 1861, and though the organized slaughter developed an overlay of romantic historical mythos, especially after Ken Burns converted it into a TV show, the civilized world to that time had hardly ever seen such an orgy of death dealing. I doubt that I'm alone in worrying that America today is losing its collective mind. Our official relations with other countries seem perfectly designed to provoke chaos. Universities have melted into toxic sumps beyond even anti-intellectualism to a realm of hallucination. 
demented gunmen mow down total strangers weekly in what looks like what looks like growing competition to end their miserable lives with the highest victims war. The financial engineers have done everything possible to pervert and undermine the operations of markets. The political parties are committing suicide by cluelessness and corruption. There is no narrative for our behavior toward Russia that makes any sense anymore. Our campaign to destabilize Ukraine worked out nicely, didn't it? And then we act surprised when Russia reclaimed the traditionally run territory of Crimea with the crucial warm water ports. Who would have thought? Then we attempted to antagonize them further with the economic sanctions. The net effect is that Vladimir Putin ended up looking more rational and sane than any leader in the NATO coalition. Lately, Russia has filmed, filled the vacuum of competence in Syria, cleaning up a mess that America left with its two-decade-long crusade to leave a trend of broken governments everywhere in the region. A few weeks back, Mr. Putin made the point before the UN General Assembly that every national institution in sight among weak and unstable nations was probably not a recipe for world peace. President Obama never did formulate a coherent comeback to that. It's a little terrifying to realize that the leader of our former arch-adversary is the only figure on stage who can come up with a credible story about what needs to happen there. And his restraint this week following what may have been U.S.-assisted shoot-down of a Russian bomber by idiots in Turkey is really evil. It all looks like a feckless side provoked by our side into World War III. And for what? To make the world safe for the Kardashians? The uproars on campus before Thanksgiving are more a reflection on the astounding cowards of college presidents and the foolishness of young minds, which, being not full formed, are easily susceptible to idealist, idealist figments. The adults in charge ought to know better. President President Christopher Eisgruber actually entertained the demand to erase Will Wilson's presence on campus for being an arch segregationist by a black social justice league that at the very same time demanded separate, segregated social space for blacks only. How did he reconcile these pleadings in his own mind, I wonder? President Biddy Martin of Amherst pandered students protesting against free speech, saying, over the course of several days, a significant number of students have spoken eloquently and movingly about their experiences of racism and prejudice on and off campus. The depth and intensity of their pain and exhaustion are evident. The pain is real. Their expressions of loneliness and a sense of invisibility are heartrending. No attempt to minimize or trivialize those feelings will be convincing to those of us who have listened. It is good that our students have seized the opportunity to speak rather than further internalizing the isolation and lack of caring they have described. Bottom line, hurt feelings supposedly cancel free speech. No, that's exactly the opposite of meaning the First Amendment. How can a college president fail to understand that and fail to defend campus against that sort of Jacob despotism? The answer is that they are hostage to dogmas cooked up by race and identity careerists, who don't really care about the distinction between what is true and what is not true. And that is probably a fit tone of higher education in America. It's a short hop from there to not know the difference between what is real and what is unreal. The phenomenon of 
expensive own gunmen killing strangers and innocents will morph into civil insurrection, especially as the major political parties break apart and the loose factions have to settle their old scores by whatever means they can. History knows that violence is infectious, that social inhibitions melt away when the conditions are ripe. Groups give themselves from the act outside the bounds of normal behavior, and all of a sudden, atrocity is ordered to death. Both Trump and Hillary have the mojo to destroy their respective parties. The probability is that they will. Unfortunately, they don't live under a parliamentary system that recognizes smaller factions as legitimate parties, so we are sure to live through an era of political disorder. What urges from that be a very severe policy it will be based on the wish to restore order at all costs. It is likely to get the shove it needs from the implosion of the financial system, which is now running on the fumes of dwindling credit. A false capitalism remains based on false capital. Notion of wealth, there is really no value where there is no value. Moments like this in history beat a path straight currency collapse, and that will open the door to a greater collapse of all our familiar arrangements. Surely there is some kind of massive unseen sensory organ in societies that receives the signal that systems are failing. And surely spooky individuals take up societies so badly that they will leave anything, do anything. Yeah, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if you want to look at the article in any detail, if there was anything that sounded off or or even especially on, but uh, I thought he, he captured something there. And that, folks, I think will bring the show to a close. I want to thank Stephen for calling in today and our chat, chatting and chiming in. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow to the Behind the Headlines program at 2 p.m. And next Friday at 10 a.m., the Health and Wellness Show. Until then, be well, be wise, be strong, and uh, keep reading. Bye, everybody. Excellent to one another. Goodbye, everyone.